Welcome back again to another hot episode of Carolina Conservatives. We are preachers with a punch, and man, have we been punching left and right. We don't care who we swing at, Pastor. We are just swing at everybody who ain't doing it right. We're going to hit everybody, you know. Take that hammer, that sledgehammer, and we go into town on it. I'm Dr. Nathan Street. I'm Pastor Alan Mashburn. It's kind of like being in Israel. You cannot dig up any dirt without finding an artifact. <laughs> so here you cannot swing without hitting somebody that's doing it wrong. And uh, that's where we are. It's been a joy to have uh, Congressman Mark Walker Amen. on Session 1, Session 2. Uh, today we're going to look at uh, how we can best be engaged as believers in the culture. And he may, he may bring us back to uh, the previous episode of where we covered Gavin Newsom, uh, the very demonic bill from hell uh, that he has signed into law. And I urge you, if you haven't seen that episode, go back and look at that. But how we can best as believers face the culture, and I'll put it this way, how we can divert destruction. Because I'll be honest with you, as a Bible student for over 30 years, I don't understand how God cannot pour out his judgment on this country. Amen. where we are headed. So, Congressman Walker, it is a joy to have you. And if you don't know much about him, you should by now. Uh, research him, Google him. You may not find true statements, but you'll find some good things that uh, you can learn about him. Great to have you, Congressman. Hey, listen, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, Pastor Mashburn, Dr. Street, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to, to do our best to stay informed of the culture that we're in to this day. Absolutely. Congressman, you, one of the things that you are doing and that really impresses me about you, um, lots of things impress me about you, is that you're real, first of all. You say what you mean. You stand on it, your principles, and I really appreciate that. You are a scholar uh, of the Word of God, but one of the things that really impresses me is I know that, you know, this is it's no secret that you that your, your campaign it did not take you to the Senate, but... What you are doing now is you're turning around and you're trying, you are working to get those people good candidates in office. And you're trying to change the culture and trying to change the swamp and get the people in there who are going to further help drain this swamp and get it, get it out, uh, get the, the nastiness out as best as we can. Can you talk to us a little bit about the work that you are doing in this venue and helping others in their campaigns trying to change this culture? Sure. I'll, I'll happy to touch on it. Yeah, I did spend six years in, in the U.S. House and, and had some opportunities to do some things both in education policy and, and some other areas. But but uh, after the, the May primary, I wanted to make sure that we were able to bring some attention to some to an area that doesn't often get the attention or the ad space, and that's these judicial races. Uh, you, the problem is, is that you can pass all the legislation in the world, but what the left has figured out is they'll bring in lawsuits from Eric Holder or others, and they will literally override the will of the people, much like they did voter ID in North Carolina just a few years ago. And that's why it's so crucial. Right now, North Carolina, the North Carolina Supreme Court is four Democrats and three Republicans. We have a chance to go five to Republicans, whether it's voter ID, whether it's probably pro-life legislation that will be coming out of the state house over the next year or two. Uh, whether it's the very congressional lines as far as who represents you in the United States Congress. These are all reasons of why these judicial races are so important. Uh, North Carolina has six, six statewide races, two North Carolina Supreme Court, and four Court of Appeals. It is incumbent upon every North Carolina voter to know who these people are than running. Here's why, and I'll toss it back to you. 
in the last election, 102,000 Republicans and conservatives did not vote down the ballot, costing us some very crucial races because government, the more effective that you make government is when the more localized that you're able to make it, when you can localize it. That's crucial here. So vote down the ballot, including these judicial races. And I just felt like the last four months, this was something that we could put some time and energy into to make sure that people are paying attention to these races as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for that. I mean, I, I think that that is that's crucial that we I mean, it's shocking that that many people, that many Republicans didn't vote down the ballot. I mean, and, and it, it may be that they I've heard some say, well, I don't even know these people. I don't know these judges. I don't vote in the school boards because I don't know them. Well, that's your fault for not doing your research and not knowing who it is you're, you're casting your vote for. Your vote's your voice. And I have mm-hmm. often said that if you believe and you stand on the word of God, the principles of, of Scripture, and you're voting with your voice, someone who supports abortion, someone who supports these these medical experiments on children, someone who supports um, sexualization of children in our schools, you're voting for these people with your voice. You're essentially ensuring that this continues uh, with with your voice. And so that's where we're headed in, in this in this nation. So you're right. We've got so many of these judges that we have got to ensure that they stay originalist and, and strict constitutionalist. And we've, we've, you know, we just recently endorsed John Morris in, in uh, Rockingham and Caswell County because he is a strict cons- conservative constitutionalist. Now we're seeing, and you've mentioned this earlier uh, in, in, uh, in part one about education is where we have seen a lot of our moving in the direction, our culture moving in the wrong direction. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you have seen uh, and particularly what you are working on maybe in the in the arena of education, what you would like to see in education that would help us continue to fight this battle uh, for our culture? Well, I truly am convinced in, in what I have seen and witnessed the, to use uh, Pastor Mashburn's, if we're going to truly divert destruction, we're going to have to completely overall, overhaul our education system. Um, the, the way that we have been taking the task uh, with the educators having free reign over the hearts and minds of our children um, has been, to me, the most damaging thing of the last 40 or 50 years in this country. I, uh, I introduced a bill in the U.S. House called the A-plus Act. Um, and the problem uh, came about, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about it. it it's basically, doesn't strip away any of the federal funding, but it takes away every single decision-making that any federal bureaucracy or bureaucrat could have when it comes to the education into these various states. In other words, if there is some federal funding to come to North Carolina, the funding can continue, but there can be no strings attached to it when it comes to that state. I got it to the House floor. I got 190 votes. Republicans at the time had 240. That meant 50 Republicans voted against a bill that would have stripped any decision-making uh, on the on behalf of federal bureaucracies. The, the, the point being, if you're going to engage this education arena, you've got to be able to localize it where local school boards, moms and dads, from the state down to the local community, to understand how they want their children educated. It cannot come from D.C. because the more that it comes from D.C. and sometimes even Raleigh, the more strings attached, the more broad it is, 
and the less say so that families and parents and local school boards and communities have it. You're going to fix this country. You got to fix the education system. Amen. Totally agree. You're, would you say that you're a big proponent? And I'm not asking you to make a campaign promise on anything, but if, would you say that you're a big proponent of school choice? Well, yeah, one hundred percent. Not just from the competition standpoint, uh, but the fact from a political standpoint. I, I authored the DC uh, Opportunity Scholarship Program. It was a bill for for since Congress manages Washington DC, uh, in that's the way that the founding fathers laid it out. Is we were able to get this done, and instead of instead of even using my five minutes to speak on this, we brought in families from impoverished communities that sat there and told Democrats on the other side of the, the dais to say, look, this school choice literally changed the trajectory of our entire family's future. And yet not a single Democrat supported the school choice. The reason why is because it reduces their control and the amount of dependency that they're able to create in these environments. That's why they're against school choice. School choice is one of the one of the foundational pieces to be able to get done what I'm talking about, and that is to change the literally direction of what's been going on in our education system the last the last half century. Yeah. Would you say let, let's just get down to it? Would you say that this modern Democrat Party, you you mentioned it just now, is this modern Democrat Party more about the little man like they? used to be or are they more about control now oh it's 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 100 percent about power and control thomas jefferson warned us about this and some of our founding fathers but that 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 power and control is very addictive and once you've had a taste of that that's why these guys don't want to vote for term limits that's why these guys don't want to do anything that messes up having 30 40 people at your beck and call and and having this title when, when I've seen it, when these guys have to go home or retire or get beat, th their whole identity is wrapped up in having that power and control. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, they, and a lot of them psychologically, because they have no relationship with Christ, they have no relationship outside of just having that title, it, it's, it's, it, they go into a very dark place. That's why they are, they are locked in with both hands, hanging on as tight as they can to this kind of control and this kind of power. Uh, and what the founding forefathers did, not, even in their genius, did not see is how much that money would play a part in, in the power and the control base. And that's where all of this has been fused together, when it, whether it comes from education unions or teachers unions or whatever it might be. That's the stronghold that we've been wrestling with uh, probably since the, the late 50s, early 60s. Exactly. Now, Dr. Street, you have you've written extensively on uh, school choice. Is that that's something yeah. you want to speak to too as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it is it is. I I am a proponent of let's just completely eradicate sending money to school districts altogether. Let's just make the make the the money follow the children wherever they choose to go. Go to a public school somewhere out of your county, or go to a private school, or go to a home school and have parents bank that money for college. I mean, it's just, just, and you would eliminate school boards and, and central offices altogether. But, it, but you, you, Congressman Walker is exactly right that it is popular. It is even popular amongst families of color, minority families, 
school choice is a major winner amongst amongst uh, all components of the electorate. If people would actually, because they see that yeah, I can get out of these failing schools and these failing schools the, that are not doing anything for my children, I can get into a better school or even get a, right now, the vouchers to go to a, a private school. Uh, you know, it is a it is a lifesaver for these children. And so it does then change this culture altogether. It really does. And so the congressman is exactly right. That's exactly where we need to I go. am convinced. I am convinced that Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida because of women of color who came out and voted for him because yes. he was going to fight for them to be able to put their child in the best place for them to be educated. That that made the difference. The left, the elitists on the left know that, and that's why they have waged war against school choice. Hit the uh, nail yeah. on the head, Congressman. Elitists, it's the elitists. They are they are governing the, the school boards. They are governing the teachers' unions. They are governing where the, the purse strings. It is the elitists that want to, and you said it earlier, that want to maintain control. I can't agree more. I mean, this is exactly what it's about. It's about money, power, and control. And and here's the other thing, too, that we have, you mentioned this in, in part one, about uh, taking away the authority of the parents. That's exactly what schools have been doing for a long time, and our universities have been teaching teachers how to do that and, and school administrators. We have a very serious problem where you've got the Broad Organization and you've got the National School Board Association. You've got the Council of Great City Schools who are dictating the school board's higher superintendents and principals and who these people are. And they're all leftists. They've all been trained in the in the bastions of leftism. And they then they're going into our schools and they are training the teachers and continuing that uh, that trajectory of our schools right into the ditch. And so. This is this is exactly where we're talking about culture. This is exactly how culture has been changed is from the grassroots of it, from the very foundations. Culture has been changed through our media, through our uh, through our school system. But uh, and 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 Pastor Mashburn, I just would say that I think that this is where uh, if we fight we this is where we've got to fight the hardest. Absolutely. I think Arizona did a great favor for us across the board. Uh, yeah. Ducey has put into effect something that that uh, at last I saw that 26,000 had registered uh, for this uh, program, uh, basically a voucher program, to uh, take the funding to follow their students instead of following the system. And mm -hmm. ironically, Katie Hobbs, who's running for governor, is against it. She tried to get a petition to get it, you know, off off uh, a referendum ballot or whatever. But she tried to attain uh, enough signatures. She wasn't able to do that. But Katie Hobbs attended a private school. Every one of these idiots that are against school choice, they attended a private school. Uh, so I don't know what it's going to take for America to wake up and see who the real racists are. Right. Because uh, everything seems to be about racism. It seems to be about equity. Uh, nothing about equality, nothing about on the front end, but on the back end. So every one of these elitists, and that's what they are, uh, are against your child going to partake in the same private school system, same grade of education that they had. That's the epitome of uh, 
elitism. That's the epitome. Mm-hmm. Some may even say in the stretch generate uh, the stretch definition of racism today. It, it's so broad uh, that it's completely racist. You wouldn't get a Democrat to say that. You wouldn't get a leftist to say that. But it's the bottom line. True. And so Arizona has done us a tremendous favor if we would just take this bill and mimic it, mirror image it across the nation. Well, but that's it, Congressman Walker. It's the bills. What what does what you've you've been in the legislative process? What would you say to North Carolina legislators, South Carolina legislators, all these states that want to that want to fight against this onslaught of leftism and socialism and Marxism coming our way? What are the bills that they need to be introducing right now to get to to help us uh, fight back? You, you uh, well, I, I think Pastor Mashburn mentioned one that I think is the best in the country. I'll, I'll allow the money to follow the student. And I get tired of hearing, well, you know, Governor Cooper is going to veto it. Well, make him veto it. Put it out. Yeah. Do everything. Make him go on record. That make him go on record. Uh, and, 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 you know, when you have the majority, you legislate. When you get vetoed, you get you communicate. That That's what you have to do. You hold his feet to the fire every single day. It's not just a one and done. Uh, this is something that you must get after it, and you got to go full speed on. And if you don't, I, look, is it terror? Yes, absolutely. And, and one more thing, in, in touching on what uh, Pastor Mashburn just mentioned, these elitists, what's more racist than telling entire communities that we're putting a ceiling on your potential, your God-given potential, unless you bow down at the altar of what mm. we tell you is best for your life? The last time I read in Psalms one thirty nine, uh, that that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God yes. when you were in your mother's womb, which means He's got a specific purpose and plan for your life. Don't let these so called political leaders come in and tell you that without my guidance or without you to being dependent on me, this is the only chance that you have to succeed in life. That's why these people hate the stories like Senator Tim Scott and others who defied what they told them and still realize that this was the land of opportunity for all of us. If that's not being taught, this is where I want to bring it back to the education. If you've never heard that story, you grow up thinking that America is inherently evil, it's inherently racist, and you don't have a chance to succeed in life unless you turn over your dignity, your dependency, everything else to these political leaders. That's contrary to the very scriptures, as well as being very contrary to the very liberty that our founding fathers literally did a great job of laying out years ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and why in the world people cannot see that? Uh, and we're talking about generations, generations of people who continue to to vote a certain way just because they always must do that. Uh, here in North Carolina, I've heard several guys say, older guys, older generation, there always must be a Democrat in the governor's mansion. Always must be. A, why? <laughs> They've never yeah. done us any favors. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Democrat of today is not the Democrat of yesterday. It's a completely mm-hmm. evil platform. Uh, the Republican Party is nowhere near perfect. But uh, in a two-party system, I'm going to get on that bus. Well, I, I think yeah. to in answer your question, and we talked about this in our first episode, is the church's responsibility to call some of this out. When's the last time that you found a pastor breaking down where the racial problems truly lie in this country when it, mm-hmm. we're not hearing that? Uh, we're hearing the right. opposite of many of these churches, and you're kind of going along with the cultural definition of who's racist and who's not. 
the white privilege, the systemic racism, all the different things that were the white guilt, all these things. It's even permeating our churches now, as opposed to saying, no, that is contrary to the scriptures. So you, you want to solve some of this. You got to have some pastors willing to go there. And I'm like, and I know they're thinking, well, we can't even mention that word in church. Well, why can't you? If somebody, if you have communities that are being suppressed, that this is racism in reverse is what it is. We got to call it out, in my opinion. Hey, we do have to call it out. Uh, Several Sundays ago, I told my men to go to the restroom and look in the mirror to see if they were actually men. And, you know. We have got to stop this garbage. We've got to get to the place where we're willing to call people out. I get invited to a lot of pastors' meetings. I don't go to all of them, but I do get invited to a lot of them now to do some meet and greet because of some future political plans. But um, I get up and I I sit down and I uh, hear them get up and say, Oh, thank God that I'm saved. And it just goes on for 15 minutes. I thank God I'm saved too, but I'm saved to serve. I'm saved to have some substance. I'm saved to do something. I'm not just saved to sit over there and just live off of yes blessing. I'm saved to become a standard for Christ. And so if you're not doing that, get out of the pulpit. If you're not doing that, if you're not studying to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, then my goodness, what are you doing? Just enjoying the fruits of your labors? Find something else. There's something easier to do in life than getting all the criticism that we get. But if you're going to stand for Christ, you're going to have to set some roots in the ground for Christ. And you're going to have to stand for him. You're going to have to start discipling. You're going to have to start building people. It's not just about the winning of souls that we've heard. That's important. Christ told us to do that. But he also told us to disciple. The reason why we have people that do not understand that they must operate from a biblical worldview is because they do not have a biblical worldview. They haven't developed a biblical worldview because they haven't been given the very central doctrines of the word of God. Yes, I'm glad I'm saved, but it takes more than that. You have to allow that salvation to work outside of you. And if I, I'm just tired of the status quo, and I'm going to lose some friends over that, but at least I've got you guys. Well, <laughs> are you sure about that? No, I'm kidding. So, is on the flip side of that, we also have to be careful that we're just not regurgitating what's wrong. But And one of the things that I think Carolina conservatives have done so well, you're not just calling it out, but you're saying, here's the solutions. It's easy, and, I, and, and I'll even say lazy, just to run through all the issues in America, in our church. But the fact that you guys are saying, okay, we can't be satisfied with just calling it out. Here's what we have to do to fix the problem. See, that's what yes, work right. is. That's where the discipline comes in. And that's why I applaud you guys, because you just don't stop there for the clicks. You say, this is the work that has to be done to resolve these issues. Amen. Well, I'll tell you, on my end, you taught me a lot about that. That's why I give you a lot of credit in policy. You know, anybody can try to point out the wrong, but policy is actually mm-hmm. how you get things done. You get problems solved. It is the, it's the late night work that you deal with. It's the talking with everyone. It's uh, working across the aisle. Not saying compromise. It's talking about uh, setting a standard and not being willing to budge. Yeah, it's true. And I appreciate that. And that is exactly what we've got to do. I mean, all through my career in the central office, school district central office, or in the classroom or here at a university, if I see a problem, 
I go and I talk about the problem, but I also say, now here's some possible solutions. We've got to be solutions oriented instead of continually yeah. harping on problems or we're going to look like complainers. And you mentioned it too, Congressman, about the uh, about pastors and the churches and and actually speaking to some of these issues. The 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 approach that some of these pastors have taken about not addressing these hard issues has apparently not worked because the latest polls that have come out have shown that Christianity, especially among young people, is declining quite rapidly. It's a scary thought to have. So if we're headed in a direction uh, ideology, uh, ideologically and also scripturally that it, you know, we, and we're not producing what we're supposed to be producing in our pulpits and we're seeing Christianity go off a cliff of people who claim to be Christian, wouldn't it warrant that we need to change direction and try something else instead? What are we, you know, why, why are we uh, so afraid as Christians, as pastors, and we're all supposed to be ministers, we've been called to minister. Why are we so afraid to go out and say, here's what the Bible says, like it or not. This is what, this is how we're supposed to live. I got Francis Schaefer sitting right over here right now. How should we then live? And that is what we should be preaching. Why are we so afraid of that? Well, I, I, I believe uh, we are we are missing the point when Jesus talks about being in the world, but not of the world. And I, I think we've, we've reached a place where we are in some places. It takes too much work to stay informed, to stay engaged. Mm. So we're just going to keep doing what we've always done, even though that particular methodology is not producing the results that you're just talking about there. Look. Before you can have a presentation, you must have preparation. And, and a Amen. lot of us have gotten lazy uh, in some of this because as the cultural shift, we're, I'm not saying that you've got to run up and grab the, the newest book on how you do church because some of those foundations and doctrines don't change. But as far as impacting our culture, it does take work. It does take the ability to stay informed and understand the language that they're speaking to be able. This is, this is why I love the Apostle Paul is because he could go into any environment and break down the policy of the day, if you will, break down the doctrine of the day. He was going to be informed that he could make an argument whether it was King Agrippa, whether it was Felix, or any, or whether it was a guy he met on the street. We've lost that. And we've gotten this stubborn, almost mindset, what if you don't like it, that's just tough on you. Well, the world's not going to like it. But we've got to find a way to be prepared to be able to meet them where they are, not compromising our principles or values, but loving them enough to also understand. And, and I'll add this, realizing who the real enemy is. My neighbor is not my enemy. The Amen. perpetrating this false gospel, false doctrine, I've been told in the New Testament, I call them out. But to my neighbor, that's the people that I'm to extend grace, to extend mercy, to love, and to share with them, to earn the right to share with them what I believe at the same time as a minister or, or a member of Congress or whatever it might be, call out the root of the evil and the problem. We're called to do both. And I think too many times we take one or the other without being able to walk daily with the Lord, to have the discernment and the wisdom to do both of those. Okay. That's he good. spanked me. <laughs> he spanked me yesterday too, but he had to go and do it on air. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was really good. I, I, folks, you know, and I know we're coming up on our on a, the, the end of our, our presentation here. But I, I the thing that has just stu stood out to me, what you just said, Congressman, 
to have a presentation, you must have preparation. What and a profound statement that that is. Yeah. Too many people don't want to put the work in. That is exactly the truth. We have so many people that want to be out front. They want to be seen. They want to be heard, but they are not willing to go and, and do the actual hard work that it takes to, to know, to have some substance behind all the flash and sizzle that they want. Man, what a profound statement that is. Final word, Congressman. Well, just, you know, as, as we wrap up here uh, and talking about the Apostle Paul, as far as being all things to all people and still speaking the truth and the word of God, I think that's what's going to need to change our culture to be able to stand firm on our principles. And I applaud you guys for taking the lead in this. And may God bless you and may you continue to do a great job with it. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Congressman. Folks, I hope you have enjoyed this time that we have had. We really appreciate Congressman Mark Walker coming on and being a part of this program with us, spending his time with us. Can you imagine spending time with two crazy people like uh, like us? Well, I don't know Alan's crazy, but you know, but that's uh, that's just the way it is. But, you know, we appreciate Congressman Walker for coming on and being, hey, you know what? He's going to be an honorary preacher with a punch with us. I'm telling All right, you. Yeah. Uh, we have just made you an honorary preacher with a punch. Thank you. Folks, this is such a great time that we have had here. Carolina Conservatives, Preachers with a Punch. We welcome you to continue to hold our hand. Let's keep fighting this battle. Let's keep pushing back against the enemy. Let's keep fighting evil. It's fun. When you actually don't worry about what people think and say about you, you can really have a good time like we do. So come on and join with us. Let's have a good time together. I'm Dr. Nathan Street. I'm Pastor Alan Mashburn. It's always a joy to sit down with Nathan, uh, Dr. Street, but it's uh, an extreme honor to sit down with our congressman as well. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.